0: This is the NC Everything podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to the show. I'm your host Curtis, and this is episode two. Today we're talking about a maritime mystery, a shipwrecked, a crew missing, and a 99-year-old question what happened on the Carol A. Deering. Now, I've decided that this is the part of the show where I tell you about what's going on in the world, how the show's going. I talk about listeners, but I don't have any listeners right now. This is episode two. I haven't actually officially launched a show yet, but I'm going to pretty soon. So with nothing else to say, I guess let's get right into the material. So the Carol A. Deering was a schooner that was built in 1919 by the G. G. Deering Company in Bath, Maine. And if you don't know what a schooner is, that's okay, I didn't know what one was either. I had to look it up. According to Britannica, a schooner is a sailing ship rigged with fore and aft sails on its two or more masts. To the foremast, there may also be rigged one or more square top sails, or more commonly, one or more jib sails or Bermuda sails, which are triangular sails extending forward to the bowsprit or jib boom. Though it probably was based on a Dutch design of the 17th century, the first genuine schooner was developed in the British North American colonies, probably at Gloucester. And yes, if you couldn't tell, I was reading that. I'm from the Piedmont. I don't know anything about jib booms and bowsprits, But the best I could tell... By looking at pictures on Google, it's a ship with a lot of sails, or at least more sails than you would see on a typical-looking ship. The Deering, which is what I'll call it for the rest of the show, was 255 feet long, 44 feet wide, and it weighed 1,879 tons, and it had five masts. Now, obviously, the ship was no Titanic, but it wasn't no dinghy either. So the story starts on August 22nd of 1920. The Deering set sail from Norfolk, Virginia, in excellent shape, with veteran captain William H. Merritt at the helm. Now Merritt was also part owner of the Deering, and he used that ownership power to assign his son Siebel Merritt as first mate. Now with the Merritts came a nine-man crew, and several articles I read said that with the exception of the Merritts, the entire crew was Scandinavian, but it never really went back to that, so I'm not sure exactly what that means. I got a few ideas later, but I'm not sure why a couple articles, actually I think four articles, said that the entire crew was Scandinavian. It was kind of weird. Anyway, they were headed for Rio de Janeiro with a cargo of coal. Captain Merritt got sick a few days into the trip, and so the ship had to turn around. At this point, they landed at the port of Luz in Delaware. I'm not familiar with that area but it's l-e-w-e-s but this is where Merritt and his son got off the ship some somewhere during that period Merritt reported that he didn't really like the crew and i know that's foreshadowing but it comes back later Merritt was quickly replaced by captain willis b warmail w-o-r-m-e-l-l he was a 66 year old retired veteran sea captain his first mate was Charles B. McClellan. The ship set sail on September 8th, and it delivered its cargo just fine in Rio. Now, before they left Rio, Captain Wormell decided to take a brief leave from his crew. So he met with his old captain friend, Captain Goodwin, and they had a few drinks. During this meeting, Wormel sounded concerned and mentioned that he did not like his first mate, McClellan, at all. He thought he was useless and at the same time a troublemaker, but both guys agreed that the ship's engineer named Herbert Bates was quite efficient and a good man. Again, Herbert Bates's name never comes back up, so I'm not sure why that was mentioned in several articles, but on December 2nd, 1921, the Deering set sail for Maine. As the story goes, when the ship docked in Barbados for supplies, McClellan got drunk and complained against Captain Warmail to another sea captain named Captain Norton and his first mate. McClellan started talking about how he had to do all the navigation, because of Warmail's poor eyesight, and he also had to control the crew because they were becoming restless. Supposedly later, Captain Norton and his aides heard McClellan shouting that he was going to kill Captain Wormale before they reached home. Anyway, McClellan, he got really drunk and got arrested and locked up. But Captain Wormale went out of his way and got McClellan released from the lockup. On January 9th, 1921, the Deering set sail again. Now this is where the story starts getting kind of weird. On January 29th, 1921, this is 20 days after Barbados, a light ship keeper named Captain Jacobson spotted the deering off the coast of North Carolina at Cape Lookout. Now, a light ship is essentially a floating lighthouse. It would anchor out around hazards and warn any passing ships of the danger when they came through. It usually had flags and lights and horns and whistles and a radio to get all this done. So when Jacobson seen the deering, the deering held Jacobson and they told him that they had lost both their anchors and they wanted him to radio back to the deering company and let them know. However, his radio was broke, so he couldn't do that. He later recounted that the man who held him did not look like Captain Warmail, and that he actually didn't recognize the man who yelled at him. Now, when I was first researching this... I wondered if the unidentified man lied about the lost anchors so that they didn't have to stop and talk. You know, if you want to keep a low profile, you keep moving. However, you later find out that the anchors were indeed missing. So moving on, Captain Jacobson, he took note of the missing anchors even though he couldn't radio out. And he later said that when he saw the deering, there was a lot of people milling about on the foredeck of the ship. Now, I didn't know what that meant either. Again, I'm from the Piedmont, so I had to look this up. And apparently on the foredeck of the ship, usually the captain and the first mate are the only ones allowed there. So most of the time you would never see any crew on the foredeck. And like I said, he said they were milling about. I'm not sure exactly what that entails either, but you can make your own conclusions about that. But after the communication about the anchors, the deering sailed on without any other contact. A little while later, but on the same day, another steamer ship was passing by the lightship. It didn't have a name, and since the radio at the lightship was not working, Jacobson blew the lightship whistle to catch the attention of the steamer. They say you can hear this whistle for up to five miles away, but the steamer did not stop which was the cruising protocol, and it just kept moving in the same direction as the Carroll A. Deering without even attempting to make contact. There is no reported sighting of the deering for two days after this. But, on January 31st, C.P. Brady of the Cape Hatteras Coast Guard Station saw the deering. It had run aground on diamond shoals. Now, if you don't know what a shoal is, I actually knew this part, but a shoal is pretty much a sandbar. It can be made up of other stuff, but essentially, it's just a sandbar. Brady reported that the ship looked to be abandoned, Though the five sails were still set. He tried to get out there with surf boats, but the water was too rough and he couldn't get out to the ship until February 4th. When he finally made it out to the wrecked ship, he actually left with more questions than answers. The ship was indeed abandoned. The two lifeboats that were normally on board were also missing. There was no sign of anybody anywhere, but also missing were personal belongings key navigational equipment, some papers, and the ship's anchors. What was really strange was there was food in the galley, and it was set out like it was being prepared for the next day's meal. When the captain's quarters were inspected, they found several pair of boots, which would indicate that several men were using the room near the end. And when they checked the log map, which is a map that the captain would write down the ship's day-to-day locations in, they saw that it was Captain Wormell's handwriting up to January twenty-third. After that, it was someone else's handwriting. The FBI was called in, but they were unable to find any trace of the crew or the ship's logs either. There are accounts, though it doesn't say where, that the crew wasn't very happy with Wormale. This could, of course, lead to a mutiny. The FBI turned up a bunch of leads, from Bolshevik sympathizing pirates to rum runners but all turned out to be dead ends. Some people have suggested that the Bermuda Triangle was involved, but I don't really like this theory because typically the Bermuda Triangle takes the entire ship and the entire crew. I've never heard stories of the Bermuda Triangle handpicking a few guys or just taking the anchors or just taking the ship's logs. So that doesn't really seem reasonable. But the Coast Guard tried to tow the ship to shore and for whatever reason, maybe by the way it was stuck or the weight of it, they couldn't do it. And so on March 21st, they scuttled the ship to keep it from being a hazard to other ships. Now, if you're wondering, scuttled is just a term that means intentional sinking. In this case, they actually set dynamite on board and and blew the ship up. So whatever evidence might have been there is surely gone now. Today, there's a few pieces of the Carol A. Deering, including her bell and cap stain at the graveyard of the Atlantic Museum in Hatteras. Now, a lot of my research has mentioned the graveyard of the Atlantic Museum in Hatteras, and next time I'm on the Outer Banks, I definitely gotta check this place out. It sounds really, really cool. Now, here's some theories I read about. Uh, of course, the Bermuda Triangle, but I mentioned that a second ago, and, you know, I don't like that theory. They said something about modern-day pirates might have killed the captain and took the cargo, but the problem is that there wasn't any cargo, or officially there wasn't any cargo. They were headed home. If they were doing something illegal, maybe they had something that pirates wanted. If you believe that that steamer ship that Jacobson saw after the Deering had anything to do with it, that could have been Rum Runners and they took over the ship, or it could have been some sort of traitor to our country and... They kidnapped the crew and took them. That's another theory. However, I don't see this steamer ship crossing the Atlantic without stopping somewhere for supplies, and that would draw attention to them. And to my knowledge, there was never any sightings of this steamership after Jacobson saw it. One theory I do like is that there was a mutiny and they killed the captain. I don't know what their plan would be after that, but once they wrecked on the Diamond Shoals, they knew that if someone came to help them, they would see what they had done. And so, they abandoned the ship. This theory also goes on to suggest that they came ashore and changed their identities and went into hiding and were never seen again. The only problem with this theory is, where are the lifeboats? There's no sign of the lifeboats anywhere. They had to go somewhere, so they either sank them or they were picked up by another ship. I'd really like to know what happened to the anchors though. I've watched enough crime TV. I'd like to see the rope that the anchors were tied to. I want to know if they were cut or ripped or completely missing. It would probably answer a few questions if you could see how the anchors were removed. And I would love to know more about this steamer ship. I guess the crew of the deering's missing, but so is this steamership. If they could have located it it probably would answer some questions because surely this steamer ship saw the Deering as it passed by. Now maybe you're tired of hearing my voice, but I wish I had more to say on this subject. There's a lot of unanswered questions and I suppose we'll never really know exactly what happened to the Carol A. Deering. If you have any theories, feel free to email me you can contact the show at www.TheNCEverythingPodcast.com. Even if you don't have a theory, you're welcome to just email me and say hello. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed the show, and I'll talk to you next time.